Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much to the Hall family. Kids are dismissed to uh, the nursery. You guys sound great, as always. I think of all the musical families out there, the Partridge family, the Von Trapp family, the Jacksons, the Jonas Brothers, the Carpenters, the Osmonds, the... Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting. You guys are my favorite. <laughs> I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, same, same passage where we were last week. pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this beautiful day. And Lord, we come to your word with humble hearts and pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. Lord, that you would point us to your mission in the world, your purpose in our lives, to serve you and love you and make you known. Lord, I also do want to pray for June as he's battling with pneumonia. Pray for him, pray for his speedy recovery, Lord, and pray for your blessings upon him and Ruby. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 28. I'll begin in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And we're continuing this morning in our series, Pillars of the Christian Life. And we continue in the same passage, as I mentioned, that we looked at last week. They're the closing verses of the Gospel of Matthew, a section commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Now, with the subjects where we've been looking at over the last few weeks, prayer, the word, fellowship, discipleship, we've really only just scratched the surface. Entire books have been written about these ideas. Four weeks ago, we talked about discipleship, and the focus was about individual discipleship and being a follower of Jesus, putting Jesus first, living for him. This week, we again touch on the subject of discipleship, and we're going to, among other things, be looking at discipleship in its relationship to the Great Commission. So the way that I'm thinking about this message this morning is that we're looking at the the life cycle of a disciple. And we're going to look at this in three stages, becoming a disciple, making disciples, and growing as a disciple. First thing, becoming a disciple. When we come to faith and place our trust in Jesus Christ, we're not called to be left to our own devices. We're not left... To try to figure things out on our own. Nor are we to continue doing the same things that we had been doing before coming to know Christ. The gospel is meant to be transformative. But how does a person do this? Now certainly part of it and the significant is the, the sanctification of God working through his Holy Spirit. But one of the methods that he's given to us to grow. To grow as his disciples. Is To learn from examples that we have within the church. Imitation is a great teacher. Seeing how more seasoned, more mature Christians pray, how they worship, how they treat others, and how they live. 
And the New Testament does not shy away from this idea. Paul expresses this thought in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, when he says, What do you have learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We also see this idea in the book of Hebrews, where the author calls upon them to imitate their leaders. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We learn from others. That's true of basically everything. For instance, for better or for worse, much of who we are is because of our parents. Some of the best qualities we have come from our parents. And some of the worst qualities we have often (laughs) come from our parents. Because we have years of seeing their example. We learn from others. It's true of the jobs that we do. I know a bunch of us are farmers. I'm going to go out on a limb that those skills, that they were taught to you by others and by your own research, right? You probably didn't just go out one year, say, you know what, I'm going to be a farmer. Just start planting on your own. You probably wouldn't have been very successful if you did that. Because there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, and you need to learn from others. It saves a lot of time and anguish to learn to do things the right way. That's true of really of any profession, not just farming. You have people who work as apprentices, as carpenters, as plumbers, as electricians. There's much to learn. You wouldn't want a doctor cutting you open who's never been trained by other doctors. You wouldn't want a pilot flying your plane who's not been taught by other pilots how to fly. And certainly, I think as a pastor, I've learned from the example of other pastors. I think it's true for pretty much everything. It's true in raising kids. Again, you don't just sort of start without any clue of what you're doing. You you have examples. You have the examples of your own parents. You have examples from other parents who you know. You have biblical wisdom on the subject. You have other sources. You don't need to figure it out on your own. To live a life that brings honor and glory to God. Again, one of the gifts that God has given to us is the church. An environment where we can learn to walk with the Lord. This is part of the reason, there's many, but part of the reason why Christians need the church. This is part of why people say that when they say that they can live their faith out on their own and don't need to go to church, it's part of the reason why they're wrong. Because we need one another so that we can mutually benefit from each other, so that we can mutually be encouraged and learn from each other. As I've said before, the Christian life is not... A solo sports. I was watching a documentary on Netflix this week. I think it's called like Netflix, like, or the. It, it basically, it was looking at different jungles at nighttime. It was pretty interesting. Maybe you've seen it. Um, and, and if you're uh, if you're a herd animal and you get separated from your herd, you're in some trouble. You lose the power of numbers. You lose the protection of the herd. You can be easily surrounded by predators. You're vulnerable and exposed. Without the church, without the preaching and teaching of the word, without fellowship with believers who know us and love us, we too are susceptible to the predators of the world. 
We cannot be discipled without the church, and we cannot fulfill the great commission of making disciples without the church. I think about when I started going to church, I was 18 years old. I had never attended a church service in my life before my senior year of high school. Yeah, I believe God existed. But I didn't really have any faith. And so I started going. Actually, 16 years ago this month, it was a leap day in 2004. When I started going to church, I'd say that the gospel message connected with me pretty quickly. I believed it. And for those first few months, I went to church, started going to the same church every, every week back in, uh, in Columbus. Church had a youth group, but most of the kids were in middle school and I was in high school, so it just didn't really have any appeal to me at all. A few months later, I moved away to college. I was serious about my faith, but I was also pretty immature in my faith. Even though I read the Bible, I didn't really know anything about the Bible or about theology. First year of college, I went to church every week. Had no idea what I was doing. The first almost year I went to church as an 18-year-old, pretty much every week, I wore a suit. I thought that's what you did. Nobody else was. None of the other college students were. I wore at least a tie. Wasn't a bad church that I went to in college, but most of the people there were in college. I think back to that first year, to those opening months. I really didn't have anybody who was discipling me along the way. Really, it took a couple years for me to find a couple men who were good good spiritual mentors in my life. But I can look back and see how my faith struggled in a lot of ways in those early times. Because I didn't have the example. And it's important to have those examples. Because with good, biblically sound teachers, relatives, friends, mentors who are discipling us, without that, we can come into a lot of bad theology. We can come into a a lot of bad thinking about the gospel, about faith, about Christianity. We need people, both in terms of teaching and, again, in terms of lifestyle, seeing how they live. We need others to show us the way. For a mature Christian, we also need others to show us the way. And that brings us to our second point. Or rather, we need to show others the way. Second point is about making disciples. Once again, I return to the Great Commission. Now, in the Great Commission, it does not simply say to go and make converts, but rather to make disciples of all nations. I think we oftentimes think of the Great Commission just in terms of evangelism. That's certainly... A major part of it, but it's about making disciples. And as we grow and mature in faith, when we know Jesus, we are then to become the example of godly living. The Great Commission gives specific instructions for the process of making disciples. Looking back at those verses, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, I've already been saying this, but first and most obviously, the call on all disciples is to make disciples. Second thing the Great Commission says is that we are to baptize disciples. I want to briefly make a couple comments on the subject of baptism. Baptism is a command of Jesus. 
We see it tied together with discipleship here in the Great Commission. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is being baptized. Sometimes adult Christians have not been baptized. There's no good reason why not. If you believe in the gospel, there is no reason to not be baptized. I know that not everyone grows up going to church, or maybe someone starts going to church and for whatever reason never gets around to it. I actually went to church for about six or seven years before I got baptized. There was no good reason for that. So if you're somebody here and you haven't been and you believe in the gospel, I'm not trying to shame you, but I'm trying to tell you that it's important. It's a command of Christ. If you're a believer in the gospel and have never been baptized, talk to me. Again, I'm not going to... I'm not going to beat you over the head, but it's important to do. No matter how old you are, my great-grandfather didn't get baptized until pretty much the end of his life. But don't wait until then. No matter, no matter how long you've been coming here, don't be embarrassed by that. You can't change the past. If you haven't gotten around to it, haven't done it yet, you can't change that. But what you can control is what you do going forward. No, baptism does not save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. But it is specifically commanded by Jesus. And it is being disobedient to him if you don't. The clear scriptural teaching is to be baptized. So we are to make disciples of all nations. We are to baptize them. Those two things Go together. Regardless of if a person believes in believer's baptism or infant baptism, you ultimately need faith. Jesus doesn't simply say to baptize people and they'll be good to go. But he says to make disciples and to baptize them. Baptism without discipleship is just taking a bath. Jesus commands to baptize And to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's fitting because each of those persons has a role in our salvation. It is the Father who is the sender, the Son who is the Savior, the Spirit who is the sanctifier, and the one through whom we are renewed and regenerated. Next, Jesus gives the command to his disciples that they are to to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That, too, is part of the Great Commission, that discipleship involves teaching. It's not just teaching what we think or just teaching our own opinions, but teaching what Jesus has commanded. That's not just about through preaching sermons. That's not just about Sunday school. It's about a church of people having God's word stored in our hearts and being able to communicate God's truth And wisdom to others. Titus chapter 2 verse 1. The apostle Paul is writing and he commands his audience. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's where it all begins. The scriptures are the basis for anything that we know doctrinally or theologically. If it's not based in the Bible, then it's just our opinion. In that same section, Titus 2, Paul gives instructions for how older men and women within the church are to be role models for younger men and women. He'll make two points. 
First point, older men and women, mature Christians, are to set an example. Titus 2, 2 in the first part of verse 3. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. That's part of the process of making disciples. We've already talked about learning by example. Well, that requires mature Christians to be exemplary. And I believe we have many who are. Second point, Paul talks of the role that mature men and women within the church have in terms of training younger believers. Continuing verse 3, going forward. They are to teach what is good. At the beginning of this section, Paul's focusing on women. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be reviled. I'm sorry, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So, in making disciples, we're called to live it and to teach it. If we teach it, but don't live it, we're hypocrites. If we live it, but don't teach it, we're selfish. We need both. We need to live as disciples, and we need to help others grow as disciples. We learn from example. But we must also become the example. It's not always a matter of numerical age, because a person can be older and be a new believer. And you can have a younger person who's pretty mature in their faith. Third point, growing as disciples. As we disciple disciples, we also continue to grow as disciples. The process of discipleship never stops because a Christian is never finished growing. There's never a time when a Christian graduates from needing the word of God. There's never a time where we don't have more to learn. There's never a time when a Christian does not need prayer. There's never a time, never an age, where your service is no longer needed within the church. There is no retirement from living and growing as a disciple of Jesus. And so, as I said, being a disciple involves a life of continuing to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus, as well as helping to train others to live as his followers. And when I say that it never stops, I mean never. As in never, ever. Ever, ever, ever. What about when I die? No, not even then. Death is not the end of growing with God. It's not the end of worship. That's probably the most prominent image we have of heaven in the Bible, is that it's a place of worship. Book of Revelation gives us an image of the throne room of heaven. Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Heaven is also a place where we continue to learn about God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, in eternity, the people of God will be in the heavenly places seeing the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness of God through Christ for eternity. Because God is infinite in his grace, his mercy, his goodness, and so growing in the knowledge of God will be inexhaustible in heaven. We never stop growing. I see no biblical reason why there won't be work And service in heaven. Work isn't a bad thing in the Bible. It predates the fall. So for all of us, we have opportunities every day to grow. Opportunities to grow in love and service and knowledge. To grow as disciples of Jesus today and forever. And we continue to grow in large part from the very same avenues with which we make disciples. We grow through community and fellowship. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I know we're in Proverbs in the morning, so I don't want to spoil the book, but it's a couple more years and we'll be now. <laughs> we're influenced by what's around us. If you have a healthy church, people who are growing in faith and who love each other, then that's a, a, a harvest that the church will sow. Or if you have a church that doesn't take sin seriously, who falls into gossip, where people are focused on themselves, it'll be a toxic environment. We are discipled within the church by being, by being pointed to God, being pointed to truth, exhorted in our faith, and even rebuked. All of those things have a place within the church. The church is supposed to point us to Christ and walking in his ways for his glory. And this is accomplished through knowing, applying, and living out the word of God. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, "All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." It's not just that all Scripture is breathed out by God, but because all Scripture is the Word of God, it is therefore profitable for teaching us about God. It's profitable for correction and training. Again, because without the Word, we're just giving our opinions. But it's the Word which points us to the righteousness of God. And God uses his word and the lives of his people to transform and equip. One of the 
dirty words that gets thrown around in the church is this idea of legalism. And legalism and manipulation can be tremendously harmful and spiritually abusive within the church. If we're not conducting our lives in a way which accords with Scripture, correction in that area, however, is not the same as legalism. Legalism involves adding rules, adding unbiblical rules, or adding things that are biblical but as a basis for salvation. Pointing people to the commands of Christ and how God desires for his followers to live is not legalism. It's pointing a disciple to Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded of you. And we always have more to learn. And when we come to faith, we still have areas of sin in our lives. And that doesn't get cleared up overnight. The good news of the gospel is that we're forgiven for it all in an instant. But you're still you. Sometimes we can have blind spots in the Bible. Maybe it's an issue in the Bible that we've never really thought a whole lot about. Sometimes we might have a a passage or a teaching in the Bible, and maybe we've ignored it or misapplied it, maybe for years. But then one person from the church points something out, or we hear something in a sermon, or we notice something in our own reading in the Bible, and we realize what I'm doing is not what the Lord desires of me. And when we do that, we need to repent and to turn from that. Approaching the subject of our sin and of our need to repent is not legalism. It's love. Apathy towards sin is what's unloving. Again, the issue with legalism is that when we we tie it to salvation, when we tie behavior to salvation, because we're not saved by what we do or how together we have it, we are only saved through the work of Christ and by believing and trusting in that. The gospel is central to all of this. The message that we are dead in sin and that life is found through faith in Jesus. That we are saved by grace through faith and not of our own works. From the beginning to the end of this process, the gospel is central. In becoming a disciple, in making disciples, and in growing as disciples. It's the mission of Christ in the world. And so the challenge today is not to lose sight of that. We have a job to do in making disciples. If there are are unserved people, unsaved people in our town, which there are, We need to reach them. May we be a church who goes into the community, who shares the gospel and makes disciples, who loves one another, and who cares about seeing our mutual growth in faith and growth as disciples of Jesus. 
And may we pursue that same goal in our own lives every day. Being disciples who make disciples and grow as disciples. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, there's so many distractions, so many things in our world that compete with our attention and energy. Lord, may we put you first above all things. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would honor you with our lives. Lord, I do thank you for your word because it points us to you and to your truth. Lord, no matter how much time we spend in it, there's always more to learn, more to glean, and we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.